Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Preview Series 2018, and today we've got Kevin Chicken. Hello, Kevin. Hi there, Stuart. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. In this much cool down London that was uh, only a few days ago was largely unbearable. It was hideous. Fortunately, I was in the coast, but the coast last week was lovely. And I must admit, it's quite nice to be talking to someone in in the same time zone. One oh, of, good. One of, one of the one of the patterns of um, of doing the Frightfest preview series I do for Britflix is I'm always I'm talking to people at eight o'clock at night and they just they don't even have the lunch. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, yes, you and I will be preparing for our evening meal at some point soon, but we'll get a podcast out of the way first. We will. It's time for a beer in a minute. I think. But uh, we've come to talk about your film, Perfect Skin, which is showing at yes. Frightfest. So do you want to, Before we do anything else, do you want to give the listener? Uh, brief synopsis as to what Perfect Skin is about. Perfect Skin is the story of Bob, a tattoo artist, whose life has basically fallen apart. His, his uh, marriage is, is, is come apart. He's not with his children. And um, he basically uh, finds this girl, Katya, who comes into a studio uh, who has beautiful skin, and he becomes obsessed with her. And he basically wants to create his, um, his, work, his uh, lasting work of art. Yeah. And... To that event, he kidnaps her, and that's where our story really kicks off. Sounds sounds intriguing. Sounds intriguing. Um, now, before we get into the details of, of uh, developing and producing that idea, I want you yeah. to I want you to have a think back to days of yore when you were a young'un, and yeah. I'm, and I'm going to guess VHS was knocking about, um, yeah. and those one of those either early or fond memories of. The horrible getting you, what it was you watched, who you're with, how you watched it, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm old enough, so actually, my first experience of, of horror movies was actually watching while my parents were out, was watching late night broadcasts of all the Hammer horror and Universal films. Mm-hmm. And getting into my teens was obviously the big VHS time where you know it's Evil Dead and all the band films, so stuff like that. But what really got me. What made me fall in love with 
the direct theme was probably Hitchcock and Psycho. And I think I saw Psycho several times as a child. And I think it's a film that made me realise what a director did. It kind of gave me the understanding that there was a job that, you know, films weren't, they didn't just appear, that someone created it, made it, controlled it, and kind of, in a way, that Hitch, directors as good as Hitchcock do, actually control the audience and take them down a path. You know, feed them a few red herrings here and there, and then, you know, time their shocks and their moments and all that. So I think that's what I felt, that's what I really fell in love with films and well, out of interest what was it about the way you saw the hit the psycho or hitchcock films in general that made you see uh, the director's role coming out on off the screen as it were i think one of the things about psycho is it has so little dialogue in it it's purely and it, and it takes and it, and it completely destroys the usual conceits of a movie in the way that you know that your lead actress disappears you know the third of the way through it yeah. and the story takes a different you know Route, so I think all those things sort of like got to me and challenged me. And also, it's just like it created something that you know, the, the image of, of the grandmother in the chair at the end, the head, you know, when the, the chair turns around, those things that will stay with you forever, you know, along, yeah. along with, with the little mix between her face and uh, Anthony face at the end of that film, you know, it's just a huge generation, you know, huge collection of images that just stay with you. It's interesting, you, it's interesting you said that film, because I can't remember, for the life of me, I can't remember who it was, because I've done about 15 of these so far. Um, yeah. But they, they, they talked about Psycho being important to them, not because of what you described, but because they watched it with their parents, and when she gets killed in the shower, they went, oh, you can't watch this. And it was four <laughs> years later when they watched the rest of the film. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I was, I was quite lucky, because I think... Uh, I was kind of left alone a bit growing up, so I was sort of like when my mum was out at night, I'd watch, sneak down, and watch films and things like that. But wait to hear a car drive back and then run up and pretend I was in bed. You know. <laughs> well, I, I still, I still can't. I still, when, I, when I'm when I'm talking about films and I meet meet new people at, at Fright Fest, usually you talk about your your own experiences, and I still hark back to like early eighties, and I must have been ten or eleven. And we, we had a Sunday afternoon, me, my dad, and my younger brother. So I'm 10 or 11, he's about eight. And our double bill was uh, Life of Brian and Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> which, which, for the life of me, I don't know how we got through it, but we did. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm still here to this day. I've not, I've not done anything bad apart from uh, I got drunk once or twice in my formative years. But yeah, yeah. it hasn't turned me into a violent nutter. And, but I think I, it's like, I just can't imagine. It was literally like the Wild West lived in my house. That was like the... I mean, I, I must admit, after that, though, we never got to see uh, I Spit in Your Grave or Evil Dead because my dad did learn his lesson. Yeah. So, yeah. I haven't seen I Spit in Your Grave, actually. You what, sorry? I haven't ever seen I Spit in Your Grave. I've put it on my... Oh, it's... it's it, as harrowing <laughs> as it is, it is a, like te- a bit like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's, it's where exploitation cinema and the power of cinema come together I mean it's wrong on all kinds of levels but, yeah. but ultimately it's a revenge story based on you know what, what you know what, what, what got her what got her raped in the first place is what is what helps her that sex appeal that, that they that they are attracted to because it's quite simplistic it's not really sophisticated but it's the same thing that gets her to that sexuality is what she uses to then exact a revenge and obviously it is a revenge um, yeah. But that's very general. That's very general talking about it. No, it's an amazing 
piece of work. And it, it, it's a shame, you know. I know, I know, we live in an age of um, of remakes and stuff. And while there's there's there's, there's, there's some merits to, to the to the initial reboot, by the time you got to the third reboot in the series, you were kind of I like, didn't from that far. Yeah, yeah, that you got to three, and you're like right. thinking. You just basically just having rape revenge stories move around Eastern Europe and pretend it's America. You know, it's like, yeah. it, seemed, it just seemed a bit odd. But anyway, that's an aside. So let's get back to Perfect Skin. Yeah. And um, and as you, as, you, as you had a hand in the in, in the script as as well as directing it, do you want do you want to talk us through where, where, what the kernel of an idea was that that sort of led to the development of Perfect Skin, the feature film? Where did oh, that yeah. begin? It began actually. I think this was about eight, ten years ago. I watched, I saw a documentary on Channel Four, uh, and it was about extreme body modification and tattoos. You know, people got to go full body and a head tattoo, things like that. Mm. And I watched it, and the imagery stayed with me for days and weeks afterwards. And, I, and from that point, that's, that's where the the idea for the film first started to come around. <laughs> I think it's, you know, it is that. Thing of you know, people putting horns under their skin and doing body suspensions and all these sort of things. So it's things that, in a way, feel like quite extreme things to do to your body. But they're, they're things that people did to themselves, you know, not for fun. Sometimes you know, for spiritual reasons. Or, you know, sometimes to, you know, for their idea of beauty and things. But it was something about. That, that that started the idea of the film. And then it was, it, it, you know, these people think this this is beautiful. So what happens if someone, you know, wants to do that to someone against their will, but to create something stunning and beautiful, and something that other people look at and go, oh my god, that's horrible, you know? Or you know, some people do to tattoos. And, mm. and so I mean, that's that's that that was the whole germ of the idea. That was the start of it. You know, and that was the, the stepping off point for perfect skin. So, so out of that, then, where does where does the the character of Bob get born? I think Bob gets born. I've, just, I've kind of said to people in the past that it's slightly true that it is it's a kind of Frankenstein story in a way, but instead mm. of being um, about science, it's art. So yeah. it's someone who's got that same level of drive, you know, that that, that Frankenstein had. You know, he he was so obsessed by his idea that it kind of. He went beyond the usual morals of, of, and things that you should and should do to to create his, his his masterpiece, his vision. You know, to bring you know to create something. And I think that's what Bob's doing to me. You know, Bob is not torturing her. You know, Bob is trying to create beauty. Now, uh, before we get into uh, like to any more sort of general things about it, I'd love I want to talk about Richard Brake, who you've uh, you've cast as as Bob. Um, yeah. A fantastic, I mean, a, a, anyone. Last year's Fright Fest, he was a dome head in, or doomhead, sorry, in um, okay. in Rob Zombie's Thirty One, amongst many other things that you'd recognise him. And I guess, I'm guessing this is this is this his first sort of lead. Uh, I'm not sure. I think it probably is his first lead. It's the first lead, I I've seen it. You know, Richard's always had great parts, and actually, funny you should mention that. Right, Thirty One was probably the film that when I was looking at. Actors. It wasn't a huge list, but I think that I saw um, him doing Doomhead, and I just uh, thought this guy can go as far as I want with this character, right? you know. And he was so he just holds the screen amazingly well. It's just like well, I remember when we first started filming with him. Mm. Kind of, you, you just do one take, you go, 
wow, it was great. <laughs> so, so in a sense, was there no was there no was there no necessity for any sort of audition? It was just a case of if we can get him, he's Bob. Yeah, basically yeah, at that point, right? Yeah, we went, we went had we had a chat. You know, we went out had uh, had a drink and a, and a chat. Yeah, and I think there was one other actor who was, who was possibly in the mix at that point. But I think after that chat, I would decide on Richard. You know, that was it. You know, I think you can see you can see a, something like thirty one and go there amazing. But I think you you kind of want to sit down and chat with them. And I, Richard just after the conversation, I decided that you know he understood the character and he really wanted he wanted. I mean, fortunately for us as well, we got offered another part at the time with a lot more money in a bigger film. I, it probably wasn't a lead, but it was, you know, but he held on and came out and tried for you know unfortunately not a huge amount of money, but you know just because he loved the character and he really wanted to do it. And I think. It's, you know, I think he's really pleased with it. I'm really proud of what he's done, the work he's done in the film. When, when, when you, as a director, when you've, when you've seen someone be so impressive in another film, yeah, where obviously they're playing a very different character than the one you want them to play, but you've seen yeah. something in them, yeah. Um, what, what was it then that you thought, having worked with him now, that that, that sort of Richard was able to bring to the Bob character that maybe you didn't even imagine before before you started rolling cameras on him. It's interesting. I mean, it's a very interesting. I won't mention the other actor's name, but where we shot a test for this to start to raise money about four years ago with mm-hmm. a different actor, and he wasn't available when we finally raised the other money. And with kind of Bob, and it kind of pushed the direction of the film. The other guy we had was probably a, a, a little bit more charming. You know, mm-hmm. come over. You know, not Richard, not charming, but you know, come over a bit more of a smooth talking, charming kind of guy. But Richard had, but he didn't quite possibly have the intensity that Richard had, and that pushed the character a slightly different way. And he, even in the edit, pushed it a different way as well. And it's not a bad thing. It's just I think you kind of, you know, I think I knew Richard would bring with some levels of dance. I mean, there's some scenes in the film as well that we improvised on the day that would just blow my mind still when I watched them. Just like, how on earth did we get to that place? <laughs> you know, so. Um, and whether the other actor would do I don't know. But it's just that you kind of, I think you're kind of pushing, once you've made that decision, you kind of got to go down that route, you know. And, and when you, out of interest, when, when you're, when you're, when, you're when, when you're getting into improvisation with, with, with an actor, is that, is that you seeing the opportunity or is that the actor coming to you and saying, I think I, I Bob would do this? Uh on the whole, because it was such a tight schedule, there wasn't a lot of time. So kind of sometimes it was it was usually when we're in the very big moments of it where you you kind of go. I mean, they're, they're, Richard and everyone was kind of out of script, you know, and they didn't want to change anything most of the time. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't about that. It's just sometimes you seek an opportunity where you, you come to it and you've gone, that was, that was great, but you know, what else can we do? Or, you know, give me something else, or just you know, just try something else. And sometimes. It, they have got an idea, and sometimes actors are funny thing. Sometimes they maybe think, "Oh, they get a bit sensitive and go, have I done something wrong?'" <laughs> what I've done before, you go, "No, no, no." But it's, I think you just when you come to the big moments in the movie, it's always good to go, you know, show me something different. You know, give me something else. We've got that; it's great, fantastic. But that's the beauty of making films. I think is to have those unknowns, yeah, and create those unknowns, and you know, and work with them later. Now, obviously. Um... Finance and resources are finite when we're making films. Most of yes. all, when we're making independent horror films, even more so. Yes. 
So when you, when you were moving, making that transition from, from writing it to directing it, yeah. what, what were some of the challenges for you or that you, you foresaw as being the challenge in translating what you had on the page to, to screen? Um, usually, the big challenge, I think, it's, you know, it's like in, in this country, the biggest challenge is just raising enough money to get to the shoot. Mm. The that was the biggest challenge, I think. You know, that has, if you're not, if you're a first time director like myself, you know, if you haven't got a big, you know, much like Richard's known in the horror industry, it's not, it's not going to be someone that, you know, the investors are going to go, right, we'll put our money there because, they, you know, they don't. In fact, that probably what shifted the money, shifting money our way, was probably when we got the prodigy involved in the music side, which we can talk about later. But mm -hmm. that, that kind of brought the money in. After that, it's probably not having a huge amount of time between sort of having the shoot and getting ready to, to turn over. So, you know, you haven't got months and months of you can do people, people are working for you. So when you've got the tattoos to design, Mm. We've got uh, all those to be sort of made and ready and tested. Those moments, which I think if you had a big budget film, you'd probably get a lot more time to get right. You know, I remember we were sort of like the more the first time we were putting the, the tattoos, the, the tattoos on. You know, we were still struggling with getting the sizes right and best way to put them on. So I think that makeup and prosthetics became an issue and not just money but more time I think and that but money's time as well if you know what I mean I think of course was. yeah 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 now you, so yeah. that became that was a bigger struggle I think was trying to get <clears throat> it's quite ambitious with some of the prosthetics and effects which was you'll see when you see the film you know and especially the you know whole body tattoos things are really time consuming to put on so <laughs> so, um, so we were right up. We were right up against in some of those moments, and that really killed some other moments because you see your schedule of your shooting schedule starts to disappear a lot. And um, you know, when you plan it out at the beginning, we've got you know we had a couple of days which we we were like you know it was one scene we're going to go and we're going to have the whole day to do this scene. It's really big and important. And then I remember the lowest point of the shoot was probably the last day we were doing all the, the stuff in the cellar set, and you know. What you wanted to be a whole day, you're, you're turning over at five o'clock in the afternoon. No, you've got to be out by ten. You know, so it's those those are the horrible low budget moments. No, no, it's not, that's it. All sounds like <laughs> the the the, um, the ugly head of pragmatism must obviously raise its head every, every every once in a while when you don't when you when you have to just get things done as opposed to seeing. Yeah. So you've got your producer who, you know, my producer's my partner as my wife. Partner mm. as well, but, you know, when you've got her. Screaming at you at ten o'clock, going, "We've got to be out of here now." You're still going, and you know you still haven't shot the, the most important scene of the film. Climbing, climbing. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be at your dinner table at night. Um, it, was, it wasn't great that night, though. <laughs> uh, I mean, it comes to a point where everyone, you know, and everyone's exhausted as well. So it's it's uh, yeah, probably the lowest point of the whole shoot that was. So you've already mentioned them. So let's talk about uh, the prodigy's involvement with this film. What 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 is that, and what is their involvement, and how and how did that come about? That came about because uh, co-producer, one of our co-producers, Cordelia, has her background is the music industry and promos and live films, things like that. And her partner has a great colleague; he's a manager, and she loved the script, which she sent to her. She'd actually just done another feature, hmm. and she was like, oh, "I don't do another one." And then she read the script and came back the next morning and said, "Okay, we're going to do it." And she, because I think of the 
she thought they'd, they'd, they'd probably get it. She sent it to Liam, Howlett <coughs> of the Prodigy, and he really liked the script. And also, he's as well as you guys, he's a huge Richard Brake fan as well. Yeah. And, and as soon as that, it, he'd had that Richard in, he's basically he's not written music, but what he gave us, and it's the first time we've ever done that, they gave us uh, a track called Invisible Sun from their last album, but he gave us all the music stems from that track. So what that means is that our composer, Dan, yeah. was able to pull that part, track apart and that track is now sort of on the motifs and the melodies are now the integral part of the whole structure of the, the music composition for um, Perfect Skin. Wow, that's quite meta, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> sort of like, sort of, sort of used and then interwoven. <laughs> yeah. That's all we take, so we had everything, so we had able to take it apart. I'll tell you the most terrifying thing about that was, though, because obviously when you're working with people like um, Liam, who I've met just briefly once, hopefully we'll meet again, but the deal was that if Liam doesn't like it at the end, he can pull it. Whoa! So we, we had to go all the way through that. I mean, we said things, so we knew he was fairly happy, but you know when you've, you've, you've still... You know, and we're low budget as well, so it's not like we can just go, oh, we'll do it again, don't worry. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So, really, you know, there was that little nasty moment just before that we, we sent it to Liam, just going, please, just say yes. And he did, which was great. And he's, he's really, he really liked the film. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, but that was scary. A little scary moment. I imagine, I imagine. Now, now obviously, given, given this film's about tattooing, um, yeah. it was a pleasant surprise in our preamble to discover there's a Venn diagram where I overlap with with your film, because mm-hmm. we've, we've both got family business tattoo parlour in common. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's another com- uh, uh, co-producer Cordelia knew Mo through the Prodigy and through mm. doing their tattoos and their connection to the family business. So um, we worked briefly with another tattoo artist called Nicole Lowe uh, before that good time, but she didn't have enough time when we finally got the budget in place to do it. Yeah. Um, so she got in touch with Mo when I had a meeting with Mo and he jumped aboard. He read the script, really loved it. And um, what he did was basically put a team of artists together who worked at the fa- who were working at the founder business, um, and he um, managed that. Uh, was I guess for want of a better word, kind of creative director of that whole side of it. And actually, Mo did do some of the tattoo designs as well. Actually, in the end, wow. so, <clears throat> so it's a mixture of what you know, I think it was stuff. Uh, it was four artists at the family business and Mo who put it all together. Because also, if you imagine as well, we've got um, uh, Bob's tattoo that he's working on, mm. sort of artist, so to speak. We've got Bob's tattoos as a tattoo artist. What would he have? He'd probably have more of a collection of different styles. Mm-hmm. For him, there's another central character called uh, Lucy who kind of introduces uh, a character Katia to Bob, and mm. she's knows him because she's been tattooed but you know so, and, and she's a bit of a world traveler so she's got one ear and one there so we had to have different styles as well so it needed different artists involved in that so but i think the big ones on um the catty were done by diletta limbo marvelous artist fantastic fantastic uh, and uh, so one of the other things i had to mention as well every one of the tattoo artists that we've met and worked with have been lovely people really like brilliantly supportive of the project and Really kind and helpful. They're a nice bunch. Well, no, I mean, as, as someone that sat for, uh, like I said, a total of fourteen <laughs> hours in my life with uh, Mo Coppoletta st- sticking a sticking needles in my body, uh, I can yeah. I can attest to his loveliness. That's for sure. Um, yeah. 
So, um, the work they've done is amazing. I think I liked about it as well because there's a tendency when you go to people to go, um, oh, you know, we want a full body tattoo work done here. There's a tendency to try and go for a Japanese look, you know, a Japanese look. And I think what Mo's brought to as is a an unexpected sign. So it's nice to just give him freedom. We had a brief chat and then he came up with some ideas and some pictures. And I was just like, that's kind of not what I thought, but I love it. You know, and then we just gave him full reign to, to go on. No, he is. He's quite amazing. And when I mean, when you learn that, that he originally was training to be a lawyer. Yeah, he was, yeah. And then started to do, do, do bloody self-tattooing and stuff. And you think where he is now. I just can't, and and the fact he never used to draw, it sort of it blows my mind how creative he is, visually yeah, it's speaking. It's like we were saying earlier. Now he's just he's a, he's a designer now. He mm. designs commissions with leading brands, basically now around the world. But I love the fact that we're always with suit, you know. So it's not like the usual beardy, little t-shirted tattoo artist, you know, was always wearing a dapper suit and shirt and tie and things, you know. No, he's very much the tutorial Italian gentleman, that's for sure. He is very much. He's a lovely guy. And I, I think what's been nice and with everyone we've worked with on this is because it's, you know, you, I, I was expecting that we might get a little bit of a, a possible backlash from some tattoo artists going, oh, you know, tattoo artists wouldn't do that. You know, but they all got the fact that it was a story and it was a dark sort of horror thriller thing. And no one, you know, we haven't had anyone that's gone, mm, you know, no. They've, everyone's gone, love it. You know, everyone kind of gets it. Well, also as well, it's sort of the dramatic. The dramatic element of a film is more important than the factual details. I remember seeing an interview with um, Taylor Sheridan talking about. I don't know if you've seen Hell or High Water at all. Nothing. I have that. In that, he took in, in that film. It, 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 it sits on the fact that they're robbing banks because they're trying to pay off a debt so they can put money in trust, so that a piece of land can be protected for children forever and ever. And the interviewer said, so how did you find out about that way of putting money in trust? And he goes, I made it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just thought, that's cracking. So there were, you know, there were probably some mortgage brokers watching it going, that could never happen. But, you know, for, <laughs> most, for, most, for most of us, we're watching it going, do you know what? I'm buying it because it's within the... Yeah. In the... Now, we talked about... We, we talked to them very, very briefly, I just said, we did talk to them. I think we're pretty true to... The timings and, and and Richard, to his credit, did actually go and work with them. Did he really? For, yeah, when he went in for a week or a couple of weeks beforehand and sat down and worked, you know, and watched. And have you, do you have tattoos, by the way? I've got two very small, very not very impressive ones, but yeah. I was lucky enough, I had mine done by the quite well known London uh, tattoo artist called Dennis Cockrell, mm. and that was my first tattoo, and then I did another one just after my daughter was born with her name on it, which is a bit predictable. But I had promised myself if we actually managed to do well with this film and get our money back, <laughs> make some money on top of it, that I will go and get a tattoo from the film done. And there's one that design that I really want to get. Good. That sounds, so, like a good, sounds like a good idea. Now, yeah. I, I, I guess I guess if Richard was someone you saw in the Rob Zombie film and thought he'd be perfect for it, what was what was the attraction with Natalia Cost? Am I, I'm going to struggle yeah. here. <laughs> I'm struggling with the name, don't worry. Natalia. Um, Natalia just came in through um, open casting. Um, and well, it was brilliant because if I'd mentioned that, it would be a spoiler. Okay. Post work. But yeah, there's something that, that, that has to be done in the film that's quite extreme. Yeah. And uh, actually, 
I think we had no women had a problem apart from two actresses from doing it. Yeah. Um, and the top, but entirely came came in there. I think it's something that's really important, sort of, to watch as a director when you come into a cast when you're watching casting takes. Sometimes you're looking at a performance and you're going because it's a difficult situation because you're partly looking at them standing there, you're partly looking at the screen. You know, sometimes you know players are just concentrating on one or the other. But sometimes actors feel like they're not doing very much, and then you watch, you go back and you look at take again afterwards, and you go, and that's actually really spot on. And that was Natalia, mm. basically. I mean, it helps the fact that she is Polish as well, you know, it's great. We could we looked at English actors as well for the part, uh, but we always wanted, you know, someone with an Eastern European accent. But she, you know, apart from them, she looked great. But she just got the character really. I think you know, she mm. was, but she was very understated. It was all very, you know. It was just in her eyes. The whole performance was in her eyes. And I think, you know, that's what great screen acting is. And that's what she's got. So um, she was just first choice, basically, from all the casting we did. So yeah. is, this, is, the, is, the, is the screening at Frankfest a... What premiere is it? Is it a... It's a world premiere, yeah. So congratulations. Thank um, you very much. So with it being a world premiere, then, that means obviously nobody will have seen it. Which, you no. know, that, that's my brilliant logic there. I've been working yeah. that brain all day. Um, and so, so from, from we've, we've, we've danced around talking about the ideas, the cat, some of the cast and your involvement with the prodigy and family business, but for the audience yeah. that are going to see the film and, and yeah. maybe some of them are listening now, um, yeah. what, what would, what is it you're most excited for the audience to see in what you, what you managed to get on, get on film in, uh, in perfect skin? I mean, you don't have to be so specific as to be spoiling if you, if, if, if it helps, but. You know, is there anything particular you're excited to to experience with that audience at the world premiere? Yeah, I think there's a couple of moments. I think there's it's odd making them like this. I've, you know, what I've said to people and have said, "What sort of film is it?" I kind of always said it's a it's a chiller. And I don't know if you remember that term. It was all sort of like sixties or seventies term for a very dark thriller. Mm. And that's what Perfect Skin is, and it's uh, it's not like a huge body count film or anything like that. But what's been interesting, is obviously. A sales agent being showing people, and they've come back going, it's a really hard sell for some people. It's, it's nothing that extreme, but I guess there are a couple of things that are incredibly extreme in it if you don't know anything about the world of tattooing and body modification. So, I can say there is one scene earlier on which um, actually is in the trailer, so you can see that. It's, and there's a knee suspension, yeah. but we, we go a lot further than that in it. Okay. And it's nothing, to, you know, like I say, what surprises me how people have found it really a, a tough watch is what they call it, you know, and it's without having a huge body count or a huge amount of torture or limbs flying off or anything like that. So it's a really deep, dark psychological thriller, and it's yeah. a brilliant and it's a brilliant two-hander as well. It's got Richard and Natalia, you know, when they're on screen, the movie comes alive, and you'll see why when you see it. Well, I think I think the other thing is about that that idea of a chiller, which which makes me think that there's an element of kind of dreading what's coming, but you, you as the filmmaker draw that out on us because you don't have to just do it in one go because it's all about all about anticipation, isn't it? In many senses, with yeah, um, there's a long. Uh, I think there's a long area of I think, you know some people said to you, they, they, it's just tense. It's incredibly mm. tense the whole way, you know, without resorting to, you know, the typical sort of jump rights. There might be one or two in there, 
about this, this really intense relationship between Bob and Katia in the film, played by Richard and Natalia, and that's that's the essence of it, you know. And out of that, we draw an awful lot of tension. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you very much for coming on the Britflix podcast. Okay. Lovely, thank you for having me. The Brit podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.